Hello, lovely listeners. I'm your host, Claudia from Berzelaga, and welcome to the Longevity and Lifestyle podcast, where I interview pioneers and thought leaders in all things longevity and lifestyle to uncover the latest research, strategies, tools, and practices to optimize your health, live better, and help you reach your highest potential. Today's guest is Dina Burkitbaeva, that's B-U-R-K-I-T-B-A-Y-E-V-A, Dina is passionate about solving mental health and is the founder of SciMed Ventures, that's P-S-Y Med M-E-D Ventures, which invests in transformational technologies that elevate mental health and wellness. Dina is also a leading investor in the exponentially growing psychedelic therapy space. Dina studied politics, philosophy and economics at Oxford University and has an MBA from Harvard University. In this episode, we dig into the exponentially growing psychedelic therapy space, the types of psychedelic therapy treatments, and why this form of therapy is so groundbreaking, myths and misconceptions about what psychedelics can and cannot do, the history of using psychedelics for treating mental health, what a treatment journey can look like, some risks, areas to better steer clear of, and much more. Before we begin, please hit subscribe to the podcast to get your weekly dose of longevity and lifestyle inspiration. I would also love to hear from you, dear listeners, so please leave a comment what you found most interesting or what you'd like to hear more of and reach out to me on Instagram at Longevity and Lifestyle. That's at Longevity, L-O-N-G-E-V-I-T-Y and A-N-D, Lifestyle, L-I-F-E-S-T-Y-L-E. Please enjoy. Dina, welcome to the Longevity and Lifestyle podcast. It's such a pleasure to have you on today. Thank you so much, Claudia, for having me. Very excited to dig in. So, Dina, I'd love to start with your story to becoming an investor in the psychedelic space. And it's such an exciting sector growing exponentially. But where did this journey come from? Absolutely. So it came from a personal story and a lot of research. So maybe I'll back up a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, I've kind of led a very professionally intense career. So I started investment banking, went to consulting, had an MBA and started a company out of that. And sort of professionally, I think I always had a lot of stress. I went and I started looking at what is sort of what exists in terms of alternative treatments. And that launched me into a fascinating world. And there's so much there. It's still kind of very early stages and maybe scientifically unproven in many ways. But I think we're moving into the direction where those become sort of more studied and more adopted. And so I really started with sort of looking at other things such as EMDR and neurofeedback, gut-brain connections, hormone-brain connections, more holistic practices. And in my research, I kept coming across psychedelics and empathogens, which is sort of the group of drugs such as MDMA and ketamine. And the research was actually the most compelling across the board when compared to other alternative treatments. You know, I come from a pretty conservative culture where anything psychoactive was completely off the table. And so there was a great deal of sort of stigma Mm. around what these medications are. And, you know, obviously due to the scheduling and the history of psychedelics, you know, it's kind of a big question mark that the media always asks is like, are these real medicines or are these drugs basically? And so I started just diving into the science of it very, very deeply. And I was very fortunate to know some people who worked at MAPS, which is the nonprofit biotech that's taking MDMA 
for PTSD through the FDA. And I learned from them about kind of very compelling scientific and clinical evidence that existed and started looking more and more into it. And I realized that, you know, there's a real there there to be able to help a lot of people who can't find treatment in sort of the more traditional ways, which is a lot, right? Kind of coming Mm -hmm. back to the number of 30% of people have treatment-resistant depression and anxiety. And, you know, and those are actually the mental health conditions that are most studied and most addressed. So that's sort of something that allowed me it compelled me to really kind of launch in and to say, I think there's a there there. And so I started investing as an angel and then eventually formed a syndicate and a fund called Simon Ventures, where we primarily focus on psychedelic therapeutics, precision psychiatry, and also neurostimulation, all in the realm of mental health. Amazing. And I wonder for some people in the audience that, you know, with people from around the globe that aren't so familiar with this space, can you maybe talk about some of the research and the studies that have been done around the different areas of treatment that they're effective for? And why is it so compelling? Why is this so groundbreaking as a treatment methodology? Sure. So in terms of what exists in terms of clinical evidence, there's quite a bit, right? So certain highlights are probably MDMA and psilocybin. Those are the two molecules that are the farthest along on the FDA approval pathway. So MDMA, which is being sponsored by MAPS, the nonprofit biotech that I just mentioned, and it is in phase three It had sort of a midpoint readout earlier this year for PTSD. And the readout results were actually absolutely fascinating. I believe it was over 60% of people that were still responders to the treatment six months after the end of the treatment, right? Which, you know, in psychiatry are kind of unprecedented levels of efficacy. And so... You know, I think that's really the program that's leading the way in psychedelics. I would say that the program that's kind of second to approval is Compass Pathways molecule, which is a psilocybin molecule for treatment-resistant depression. And that's in phase 2B, and they expect a readout at some point by end of this year, which is also very exciting. This is kind of for those maybe that are not so familiar with the FDA approval process. These are quite far along in that process. And, you know, something like MDMA could potentially be on the market as early as in two to three years and about, you know, three to four years for psilocybin. And these would be federally approved treatments with potential that they would be covered by insurance and would be kind of widely, wildly available. Which is so exciting. And even just taking a step back from that. So if we look at the MDMA for PTSD and for people unfamiliar, PTSD is post-traumatic stress disorder, right? So, I mean, that's a range of veterans coming back from war, unable to integrate back into society, which I think is a big one. There's a lot of research being done specifically in this area at the John Hopkins University and Imperial College in London on this as well. But PTSD can also be trauma from a car accident. I mean, really a lot of people have some sort of trauma experience, whether they call it trauma or not in their lives. So, I mean, there's such a wide ranging benefit or use case, if you will. Maybe you can just help people understand the difference of, you know, if you were to deal with PTSD by therapy, 
talk therapy, let's call it, versus a therapy using MDMA? And what specifically does that actually look like? Yeah, maybe really kind of stepping back and just sort of like, what is psychedelic assisted therapy? What is psilocybin or MDMA assisted therapy? So don't entirely quote me on this. This is, you know, I've, I've never been sort of. Yeah, in- for everyone listening, you know, seek medical assistance. And <laughs> this is just for educational and informational purposes. It, exactly. Yes, this is absolutely not any kind of medical advice. But basically what the treatment involves is having three to four, and this is something that I think still needs to be decided as they're going through the FDA approval. Is it going to be three or four sessions? And what is sessions, right? A sessions is a day long treatment where a patient would come into a clinic. It would be in clinic and they would be in a kind of a separate room. They would take the medicine which is at MDMA or psilocybin or whatever other molecule is in question. And they would be in sort of the journey part of the treatment for four to six hours, potentially eight hours. And what does the journey entail? You know, there's different sort of effects that happen, but from the physical ones, it's, you know, you might feel tingling in your body, your temperature may raise a little bit, your heart rate might go up a little bit. But the really important stuff that's happening during the journey is really the more psychological and spiritual things that are happening, right? So usually patients close their eyes, it's dark in the room, there's, you know, two therapists, or, you know, maybe a doctor and a therapist that are sitting with the patient at all times monitoring their vitals, but also kind of providing that safe space for the patient to really be able to go inwards in the sense that their eyes are closed and they're really kind of staying with the experience and the experience can be really anything, right? Mm -hmm. And there's a big belief that the medicine in connection with your own psyche and your soul and your body are able to create the experience that you most need for healing, right? And so maybe you've come across some accounts of PTSD patients who've had MDMA treatment, you know, accounts could include things like, you know, I felt so much love and warmth and safety in my body. I felt entirely sort of supported by the universe and, you know, by life itself. And in that moment, I was able to allow for the traumatic accident or the experience to sort of replay, but I wasn't responding to it in the same way that I usually am, which is fear or dissociation, trying to move away from experiencing that again to one of acceptance, maybe forgiveness, and, you know, just a reframing. And I think this is kind of the big hope and belief, really, in the space that by being able to put oneself in such a safe space and kind of replay and then reprogram the way we see the trauma is what really allows people to let it go in some way. Obviously, it's always a part of you, but maybe not just have it be acute. And, you know, this is just one account of a very sort of basic way to categorize what people have been going through. But there's various other things that people go through that they continuously call healing. 
you know, mm-hmm. whatever that means for different people. And you mentioned before that there were some studies that showed that people even six months after having these sessions still felt the benefits of the therapy. Yeah. So this is, I think, something that's very interesting to mention is because there's different schools of thought, you know, when it comes to why psychedelics work, right, and why this could be a total game changer in psychiatry, right? And this is not to say that, like, psychedelics will be the only thing to treat any kind of psychiatric diseases. I think it's just an option for some people, but I think it's a very needed option just because the options that we have at hand are not meeting the need. So the different schools of thoughts are kind of in these different camps. One is much more sort of psycho-spiritual or spiritual, right? So it's more around sort of the connection of the soul, the heart, with the rest of the universe, with nature, with others, with source, right? Mm-hmm. And sort of this is something that I think psychedelics do help experience for some people that are going through the experience. And that tends to be very, I think, healing because, you know, people no longer feel as alone or they feel much more supported, right? They believe that good things are coming their way, that there's something bigger that works for their good, right? And that's a big part of, I think, why people believe that psychedelics work. The other Quick one question is, on that, sorry, just to interrupt if I may, but would you say that that's, you know, psychedelics come from the traditional tribes, right? They've been around for such a long time. And do you think that that is part of the traditional use case of it for that feeling of connectivity and I'm not feeling alone? Or do you think it's from a more medical perspective? I would definitely say that it's not coming from a medical perspective, right? Mm-hmm. I think medically hallucinations and whatever is likely making that connection possible is seen as a side effect. So hallucinations, like, you know, if, you, if you're taking ketamine or psilocybin, you know, and it's a hallucinogenic, it's actually seen as a side effect. So it's a negative thing in the medical system right now. I think with psychedelics going through the FDA, that's going to change. So it's definitely coming more from the spiritual practices. I think in terms of sort of more ceremonial practices that have been you know around for centuries i can't really speak to all the ways that they use the psychedelics for but definitely a lot of it was around connecting to nature and to universe and to each other and then most importantly to yourself yeah exactly okay thank you for clarifying so sorry i interrupted you you're about to go on to the next point no absolutely the next sort of school of thought is around psychedelics allowing you to be able to look at your life or at whatever, you know, is is central to you at that point in a different way, right? So it's really about reprogramming and not in a kind of robotic militaristic way, but it's more sort of through feeling through the body and kind of a much more somatic spiritual way as well, but one that also really involves the mind, right? And so you know, a lot of times people come out of these experiences and they realize that they've been living their life or the way they've been looking at a certain problem is not the way they want to continue doing that, right? And so, you know, it's often that people come out of journeys and they're like, oh, I want to change so many things about my life. And sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. But I think just that awareness that comes during the journeys is very powerful It's spiritual, but it also really kind of connects the mind. And that's why I call it more of a kind of psychological because it connects 
the various parts of you. And then the third part is really like neurobiological, right? And this is where sort of neuroscientists, psychiatrists, psychopharmacologists, and, you know, many, many different experts are looking at what is happening in the brain that can explain that people are free of depression with ketamine, for example, up to a week, right? Mm-hmm. after having the experience and with psilocybin with MDMA we don't know exactly but you know it could be weeks and into the months so mm-hmm. what is actually happening in the brain there's various hypotheses around these i mean i can speak to it it's pretty like scientific not that kind of interesting but just to say that there's a lot of research now into what's actually happening with the brain receptors and the neuroplasticity that explains why, for example, you know, if an SSRI or benzo medication wasn't working for someone and all of a sudden they've had this experience, yes, a lot of it is sort of more around like spiritual and psychological shifts, but some of it could be actually like it changed your brain chemistry. It allowed for that sustained change to appear. So is it creating new neural pathways during this few hour time frame so that the mind doesn't go via the old pathways to the sort of negative sphere, but actually uses the new neural pathways to have a new perception on things? Is that what's part of what's happening? Yeah, there's a couple of things. The fact that, you know, more synapses are being created during the experiences mm-hmm. and while some of them sort of, you know, retract or disappear, some of them do stay. and you know, that's, there's a hypothesis around the fact that that's responsible for, you know, creation of new associations, new ideas, right, which are likely to be more positive, right? Because if you're thinking about someone who's depressed, a big kind of symptom of depression is the fact that people are constantly thinking negatively, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then they go through this experience, which can be very beautiful and healing, and they actually see that they're supported and loved. And those the I am supported and love synapses, let's say, are built. Mm-hmm. And you know, those may sustain. And I think this is why what keeps coming up over and over again is the importance of integration, preparation before the journeys, but also integration, because you've just sort of did a big jolt to your brain or to your, you know, spirit and soul, and you've gained a lot. And that's something that, you know, if one doesn't sort of sit with it or fully integrate it into, you know, their own selves, into their lives, there's a risk that they would lose most of it, right? How many times have we gone to a retreat and said, oh my God, I'm changing my whole life. We go back home the next day, which, you know, with all the same sort of patterns, and, you know, two months later, we're like, oh, my God, what happened? You know, I had all this plans. What does successful integration look like? I mean, how is that done? Yeah, I think it's different for everybody. But usually what people who are kind of more experienced with this say that, you know, taking time off. So, you know, I think what's very popular is going for an ayahuasca weekend. You know, like you finish work at like 5 p.m. on the <laughs> and drive over to your first sitting on Friday night with ayahuasca and then you sit on Saturday night and then on Sunday you come home and like you do laundry and then you go to work on Monday right so that's like something that I think is being practiced quite a bit and everyone decides for themselves it could work for some people but those 
don't tend to be as impactful in terms of integrating what you've learned and what a lot of people just want to keep, right? They want to keep it that something beautiful happened or something like very transformative happened. So I think just giving it time, whatever that looks like, and not needing to go back to something that's very demanding and would sort of take away from the process that's happening with you. A lot of people believe that what happens is all subconscious or like on a spirit and on a subconscious level. So, you know, after people have had this psychedelic experience, a lot of people can't make sense of what happened, right? It's something that's just not comprehensive to the mind. It may become later, but not at this point in time. And so if you're letting yourself rest and just mm-hmm. be in nature and, you know, not watching TV, not working at social media, not mm-hmm. going to work and getting stressed out, you're allowing for that process to actually happen more smoothly and more deeply. Mm-hmm. These are sort of some of the things that people speak about with integration. That seems to make a lot of sense just to give yourself that space for the recalibration, because I think, as you said yourself, that a lot of things happen at a subconscious level. So the rational mind can't understand it. And it's just having that time to recalibrate and understand that. I think not trying to understand why, because that's the rational mind coming through. So, and I like the idea of being in nature to just be, right? And, and let the recalibration happen and not need to be in charge and control of everything as well. Dina, what are some of the myths and misconceptions about psychedelics and what they can do and cannot do? Sure, absolutely. I think this is a very important conversation, so I appreciate you bringing that up. You know, psychedelics have been receiving a lot of attention, especially in the last two years and you know the media portrays them at times as this sort of silver bullet right this Mm -hmm. thing going to save us all and I think that's a very dangerous narrative just because we're not setting up ourselves you know as people who may need these medicines but also these programs that are you know trying to come to the market for success the stories that people probably hear the most is something along the lines of, you know, I was deeply depressed and then I had a journey of whatever the medicine is and I woke up a different person and I never went back to my bad habits or feeling depressed again. And those do exist and those are incredible stories, but those are a tiny, tiny sliver of what actually happens for most people. I think a lot of people have very different experiences where working with the medicine actually makes things a lot harder, right? Because you're a lot more aware of something that you haven't been aware of. Something that's causing the problem, likely, but you just you just haven't faced it because you've been actively trying to run away from it. So you and mean like the deep down root cause of the issue is that you've buried comes to light? Yeah. Even like a traumatic experience that people block off, right? Because it's so and then you know what if you can have all of a sudden during a journey you had that experience and this is something that Tim Ferriss speaks about in his um, I think it was exactly a year ago that he on his podcast spoke about his own personal experience of what came up yeah yeah of sexual abuse in childhood yeah exactly and you know imagine what that would be like I don't think I mean I have no idea what his experience was but my guess is most people it wouldn't be an easy one to get out of. So you're probably not in this sort of euphoric, beautiful space where things are great. I'm sure there's a great level of gratitude for finally kind of knowing the truth and being aware of what may be causing certain feelings or 
reactions that you weren't aware of before. But that is just to say that, you know, people shouldn't see psychedelics as, you know, like, I had this experience, it was trippy and amazing, or it was difficult and amazing, and then I'm going to walk off uh, a different person and be forever changed. I think if anyone's considering this, it's definitely something to take very, very seriously, do a lot of preparation, you know, do therapy, do kind of the work before you launch into something like this, and then make sure that you have a support system for integration and just in general. And I think one thing to kind of mention is because I don't think too many people know, even if someone had experience with psychedelics, but more outwardly, right? So you take psychedelics at a party or Burning Man or, you know, even in nature, the experience inward tends to be very different. And inward, you mean by, you know, when you have the mask on and you're in a quiet room versus in a party setting? Yeah. Versus, you know, eyes open and you're sort of taking things from the outside there's none of those stimuli right you're just sort of working what's coming up in your body what's coming up within yourself that's a really helpful advice I think for someone and I'd love even just if you for someone considering this and I think that probably a challenge especially in other places around the world that there are not very many therapists trained in this right as well so say someone is considering trying this this type of therapy if you will yeah. What would be some of the homework you were calling it, right? So the work to be done to prepare, you know, would you recommend actually going to therapy? Would you recommend writing down, you know, what are some of the traumatic experiences from life that maybe were suppressed that might come up just to be aware of that? What would be sort of the pre-therapy, pre-journey? Yeah. And you said about afterwards taking time in nature and things like that as well. Are there sort of the top three things that you would recommend for afterwards as well? Yeah, I mean, I think for preparation, learning as much as possible about what this is, right? Like, what does this look like? I think a lot of times people have a lot of anxiety because they just don't know. And, you know, I think there's sort of a variety of books. I mean, Michael Pollan's book, How to Change Your Mind, is a good resource. If, you know, people want to go deeper, you know, Stanislav Grof's books, kind of, there's many sort of books that would prepare you in terms of understanding what the experience is going to be. Or it's watching documentaries. I think a great one is called um, A Trip of Compassion that talks about MDMA therapy. And yeah, so kind of familiarizing yourself with what this is and what you can expect, maybe speaking with other people who've gone through the experience. I think definitely doing therapy. I think the reason for that is because you want to prepare yourself for what might come up. Mm -hmm. And people have never really spent time with themselves, right? This can happen through meditation as well, through other sort of inward work. But if they've never spent time there and, you know, going and kind of allowing the defenses to come down and then things coming up, it could just be overwhelming. And, you know, overwhelming is likely not good, right? Because you could get scared, you could get dissociated from whatever's happening, you could just have a negative experience and you never want to go there. So just preparation is good in general. And then I would also say check um, the legality because obviously these medications are being studied clinically, but they're not legal in all jurisdictions. Right? Ketamine is probably the most widely legal one. And, you know, obviously it also depends on the jurisdiction, but the rest, it really depends on sort of where you are in the world. Oh, for after, for integration. Yeah. So, you know, being able to just give yourself the space to really 
kind of feel into what happened during the journey, right? To allow it to fully integrate in and kind of stay with you if that's something that you would choose to do. Journaling is great. Continuing to eat healthy, nutritious food is important. And like I said, definitely a support system is very important. Mm -hmm. Very helpful. Thank you. I'd love to throw some rapid fire questions at you, Dina, before we talk about investing in the psychedelic space. So thinking of the word successful, who's the first person who comes to mind and why? Successful. I think it will be my mom, actually. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I say that is because, you know, she really enjoyed what she did for her career. And she was kind of excellent at that. She was a professor. And at the same time, she really enjoyed her life at home. You know, and now she has grandchildren and a big family that she can kind of take care of. I think this is something that shifted for me recently because I used to just be like, oh, who's the richest person or who's the most accomplished person, right? I mean, I am kind of come from like an MBA background, so that tends to, you know, get triggered and things have shifted lately. I love that. What was she a professor in? Linguistics. Linguistics, wow. Yeah. So she was able to successfully balance between career and having time for the family, which I think for so many people is such a big challenge. Yeah. Amazing. What a great role model to have, Dina. Lucky you. <laughs> Do you have a favorite quote or piece of advice received that's been a real game changer for you? Yes. I would say one of the most impactful things I've heard is that life happens for you, mm -hmm. not, not to you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think this is a Tony, I mean, I don't know who said it exactly, but I heard yeah, it. I think Tony Robbins says it a lot as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think what's impactful about that is first I was like, I don't believe that. And then you sit down and you sort of look back at some of the best things that happened to you. They only were able to happen to you because something else at the time didn't work out. And you felt like, you know, life was happening to you. And so. I think that's a big reframing that requires a lot of work still, but it's a, it's a very meaningful one in my life. I love that. And I think in Steve Jobs' 2005 Stanford commemoration speech, which is a really amazing 15-minute YouTube video, which people can watch as well. I love the way he portrays it as connecting the dots, right? So it's only when you look back. Do you realize, you know, had I not actually done that or had I not had that weird experience, which at the time I'm like, why did this happen to me? But only thanks to that experience later, do you realize it set you up for success later? So, yeah, I love that. Do you have a particular morning routine, Dina, to start your day as a success? Yeah, I do actually. You know, I don't know if it's always success, <laughs> but it is the routine that <laughs> best for me I am very fortunate to be a very early riser so I have a lot of time in the morning so I don't want to intimidate anyone with this I do probably wake up around five o'clock in the morning okay naturally and, yeah naturally and the first hour or so I stay in bed and I meditate so it's mm -hmm. kind of like a lazy meditation but actually it allows me to go much deeper because my body's relaxed I'm not thinking about sort of I'm sitting up or doing something you're in the probably alpha brainwave state. Yeah. Is there any particular type of meditation just out of interest? I use the insight timer and sometimes I just listen to binaural beats or mm -hmm. 
music or sometimes if something's very pleasant, I go and find like a guided meditation. But it's very a la carte depending on what I want at that point. Mm-hmm. Then I have a wonderful dog and mm-hmm. usually Free. go for a walk. So I get outside almost right away with her. And then around 6.30, 7 o'clock, I move, right? I have to exercise. I think movement is very, very important to me keeping balance and being sort of productive, happy person. And that varies between yoga and whenever possible, I do it outside. I just find sort of being able to see the sky very, very expansive. And then I also really love a workout called The Class by Tarun Toomey. It's basically high-intensity workout with a lot of emotional release. So the exercises and the whole routine is sort of around, yes, kind of releasing tensions in the body and obviously increasing strength. But a lot of it is around sort of working past a point of pain physically and kind of equating that to something that you're dealing with emotionally. Mm -hmm psychologically so you know during the movement they would say there's something that we're dealing with and like we're doing these burpees and like you just have to keep pushing because this is like the way you push through something that's happening inside you you know if you go into a class before COVID I was able to do that you know people cry people scream in the class it's kind of one of these like you walk out and you're like oh I'm like a reborn human because like <laughs> I just released a lot of this whatever I wanted to let go of. <laughs> That sounds amazing. Can you spell the name just for people interested? Sure. It's called The Class, T-H-E, and separate word, class, C-L-A-S-S. And then you can type in by Tarin Toomey, and I believe she spells her name T-A-R-Y-N Toomey, T-O-O-M-E-Y. Okay, Tarin Toomey. Okay, perfect. Thank you for sharing. Let's change gears a bit and talk about your incredible work you're doing in the investing space in psychedelics. Why do you think there has been so much interest from the investor community? And can you talk about some of the investments you've made and what these companies are doing? Sure, absolutely. So through the fund, through the Simon Ventures Fund, probably made around 20 investments in the space over the last three or so years. Primarily, the companies are in drug development, which means, you know, these are companies, biotech, biopharma companies that are basically creating psychedelic molecules that would be approved by the FDA for treatment of depression or anxiety or PTSD, etc. You know, through the fund, we see that the medical model, and what I mean by that is a model through which psychedelics would be FDA approved and then go sort of into clinics is how the first sort of wave of patients would be able to be treated. And, you know, that's primarily because we still need to show safety around these molecules. So that's probably the biggest focus. And, you know, we've invested in companies such as Thai Life Sciences, which is the largest platform company in the space. We've invested in companies such as Delix Therapeutics, which is developing a non-hallucinogenic psychedelic molecules to allow sort of a larger population of patients to take advantage of the changes in neuroplasticity without having the trip. Companies such as Terran Biosciences, Freedom Biosciences, Taptogen, and kind of 
many more besides that. We've also invested in companies outside of drug development, more in the medical devices access, which is connecting patients with therapists or patients with psychiatrists and something that's more sort of in the SaaS and analytics space is, you know, the number of clinics and the number of practitioners is growing at crazy speed, really. Mm-hmm. You know, that whole infrastructure also needs support in terms of EMR, EHR, and analytics type of companies. Really interesting. You said in the SaaS space, uh, how does that just work specifically? Because is it like a telemedicine model? I mean, it's still very kind of, you know, you need the actual physical therapist and you need the actual patient, right? So how does that work? There are virtual ketamine clinics that started probably in the last year and a half since the start of COVID primarily. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're not invested in any of the virtual ketamine clinics. However, you know, sort of telemedicine is possible in that way where, you know, a patient can speak to a psychiatrist or a nurse who can prescribe the ketamine then that gets sent to you through a compounding pharmacy and then you know the patient can have the experience at home you know connected to a therapist or maybe not even that it's unlikely that that will kind of translate to psilocybin mdma and some of the other ones because they are you know these medicines are very potent so doing them at home without sort of medical and yeah, it's hard. So yeah, but the space is just at its very start. I know that it's been getting a lot of media attention, but you know, we all believe that this is just the very, very start. The very beginning. I'm really excited. And I guess an important question I meant to ask you before is also sort of the risks and downsides of this. I mean, you were saying some of the hallucinations are, are seen as a, you know, sort of a negative side effect, but are there any other major sort of risks and side effects someone might need to take into account considering this form of therapy? Sure. I mean, again, people should definitely speak with their own doctors to Mm -hmm. get the full kind of download on this. But, you know, the full download is not even available because we're still studying, right? They're still being studied. But I think just generally things that people should be aware of, there's counterindications for sure, right? So someone who is psychotic, could be psychotic, who's schizophrenia, should not be mm. taking these medications based on sort of the clinical evidence that exists today. You know, on the physical side, you know, something like psilocybin does have cardiotoxicity risks. Mm. So it would definitely to be mindful around that. And just generally, I think if you're sort of experiencing hallucinations, you should be in a very safe space where you Mm -hmm. couldn't hurt yourself physically, where you have someone who can help you, you know, get to the bathroom or get a glass of water Mm -hmm. and just support you, right? Because something that could be coming up could be quite intense. Mm -hmm. And that's what's really important in terms of having the right sort of set and setting. A safe space with people that you trust in the way you feel sort of comfortable and held to be able to really go into the experience. Mm -hmm. Very helpful. Thank you. For someone interested in investing in this space, how can one best get started? So I guess there's three primary ways, right? You could go as an angel investor and, you know, meet the companies and invest directly. You could go through a kind of more of a syndicate, similar to what we have with Simon Adventures and, you know, sort of participate on a deal by deal basis, uh, you would be sort of 
if you were to join SIMED, every time there's an opportunity, you would get an email saying we're investing in this company and you would have a week or two sort of make an investment. And the third way is to invest into a fund. There's various funds in the space and SIMED is one of them. And, you know, it's sort of more traditional venture where you give a check and you sort of forget about what's happening. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, perfect. Thank you for explaining. A couple more rapid fire questions before we close. What has been your most exciting purchase in the last six months? I love specifics, brand, model. I this is going to sound silly, but I really love these new practical but cute shoes that I bought from Rothy's. Uh-huh. So Rothy's are the it's a brand that uses recycled plastic from the oceans to make shoes wow and the shoes are washable that's the most beautiful thing and so you have these nice shoes and you know and then I can go on the beach or in the mud and I have a dog and you know whatever happens with the dog (laughs) put them in the wash and they come out almost as good as new and you know so are they more like sneakers are they like casual shoes all sorts of all sorts of at this point it's all sorts of models so you have moccasins you have sneakers you have flip-flops they make bags now but it's a kind of a popular brand in san francisco now okay very cool tina if you could get one message out to the world and a billion people could hear this message what would it be could be a few words a paragraph yeah i would say trust you know trust in the fact that life is unfolding in the right way Mm -hmm that life is happening for you, that, you know, whatever challenges you might be going through, they're there to ultimately help and for your own benefit. As hard as it may be at times, I would say that that's something that I would love for many people to hear. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Great question. <laughs> what has been one of the best and most worthwhile investments you've ever made? And again, it could be in terms of time or money or energy. I took three months off once and sort of what I believe to be at the height of my career. And, you know, when, you know, I really couldn't step away and do anything, you know, and things would fall apart without me. But I took that time for myself. And I would honestly say it's probably the best decision I've ever made. And, you know, that allowed for really, really kind of beautiful things to happen to follow. Oh, beautiful. I love that. Dina, for my listeners interested in understanding mental health and psychedelics and longevity better, you mentioned a few books. And is there any further online resources or any other books that we haven't mentioned yet that you recommend they start with? No, I think, honestly, don't get overwhelmed because you could get overwhelmed because there's a lot of information. I think if you're just getting started, pick up the book by Michael Pollan. It's fascinating because you just get to read about sort of the different parts of psychedelics, the science, the history the clinical research that's happening now. And that will lead you to where you sort of would want to go. And then for kind of a lower commitment, watch a documentary called The Trip of Compassion, I believe, available on Vimeo. And I think it will answer a lot of the questions. Perfect. Where can people learn more about what you're up to on social media, websites? Sure. I'm not on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) 
I would say that the best way to follow us would be on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. So the fund is called Syme Adventures. Can you spell that? I, short P-S-Y-M-E-D as in psychedelic medicine mm-hmm. ventures. Our website is simed.ventures. Mm-hmm. There's a way to sort of follow us on various platforms and see what we're up to. Perfect. Do you have a final ask or recommendation, any parting thoughts or message from my audience? I would just say, you know, be open-minded, you know, when it comes to psychedelics or whatever else. If this piques your interest, you know, maybe watch a TED talk by Rick Doblin. He's a great resource or, you know, read the book or watch the documentary. You know, psychedelics might not be the right thing for you, but I think something interesting could come out of that research. Thank you so much, Dina. It's been such a pleasure to have you on today. And thank you so much for walking us through this incredibly interesting space. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Claudia, for having me. It's fun. Hey everyone, it's Claudia here. Before you take off, I hope you enjoyed the episode and learned as much as I did. If so, please hit subscribe so you don't miss out on our next episodes. I would also love to hear what you thought, be it your favorite part, quote, or other feedback from the episode. So please leave a written review on Apple Podcasts or on social media. And if you think this episode will help someone in your own life, share it with them. Together, we can change our own lives and the lives around us for the better. Until next week, goodbye, farewell, and choose to live well.